Take your Bibles this morning and open with me to the book of Jonah. We're going to be looking specifically this morning at Jonah 1, verses 7 through 16. This is our third week in our study of Jonah. Really thankful for the good things the Lord is saying to us in this season. If you were to read the Gospels and you were to read it with some thoughtfulness and be looking carefully, you might notice about 40 different times in which Jesus did miracles. And all kinds of different miracles. He showed us miracles over nature, miracles over the weather, miracles over demonic spirits, miracles over sickness, miracles over death. He showed us miracles in turning water into wine and multiplying food, just miracle on miracle. But the truth is, is that if we were to have read the Bible from the beginning and go from Genesis all the way through, we might not be really surprised by these miracles because almost every one of them in some way or another had been seen previously in scripture. Even Elijah and Elisha healed people from the dead. So certainly it's still an evidence of God at work in a very supernatural way, but, but most of the miracles we've seen before. But there is one miracle that only Jesus does. There is no record in scripture of anyone else ever doing this miracle until Jesus showed up. And not only is he the only one that does it, but it's the miracle he seems to do the most. We have recorded eight times in which Jesus does this miracle and two times in which it says Jesus went into a town and with multitudes of people also did this miracle, which means he did it over and over and over again. Probably the most common miracle of Jesus, the one that only he can do, is the healing of the blind. And that's significant. Not only that Jesus did it, but it's significant that only Jesus did it because the greatest issue that Jesus faced when he came to earth was, was the issue of blindness. Not really physical blindness as much as spiritual blindness. But Jesus was continuing to use that miracle as a metaphor. He would heal people of their physical blindness in order to show those that were watching the kind of spiritual blindness that was really hovering over the eyes of the people of that generation. John 1.10 says it in maybe the saddest way that Jesus came to his own. He came to those who were cre he created and yet his own did not recognize him. So here was God in the flesh and they walked past him and they didn't know that he was God. They did not see him. Why? Because their eyes were blinded. They were blinded to who he was. They were blinded to his teaching. In Matthew 13, Jesus says the Pharisees were blind to the reality of the heart of God. And then in Matthew 15, he says the religious leaders of the day are like the blind leading the blind, which is uh, an incredible statement, a really visual picture. And Jesus says, and this is the case, and they're going to both fall into a pit. The blind are, are leading the blind. Jesus even says it about his own disciples. After they had been with him for about two years, he gets so frustrated in a moment because they are not yet realizing the reality of who he is and all that he's done. And so he says, you have eyes, but you don't see. And then in Mark 8, immediately after saying that, you know what he does? He heals a man who was blind. Showing us that Jesus was consistently doing this to make us aware that blindness is a serious issue. 
Not only a physical issue, but in the spiritual realm, blindness is a serious issue. And listen, only Jesus can heal us from our blindness. If we're blind, we need a miracle. Jonah was a blind prophet, not physically, but spiritually. And he was leading a generation of blind people. And this little story here, the four chapters, the 48 verses of Jonah exist to show us Jonah and his generation's blindness specifically to the mercy of God. They just did not see mercy. They did not see the way in which mercy had been extended to them, nor did they see the way in which they were to extend mercy to others. And so they were walking around not aware of just how kind God had been to them, just how gentle God had been, just how patient God had been, just how loving and caring and tender-hearted God had been. They had become calloused to how good God had been to them. And because of that, they seemed callous towards other people who so desperately needed the mercy of God. And the story is a painfully tragic and sad one. You know this from the last couple of weeks, and we'll see this more and more. There is something deeply sad about God's people having missed God's heart. But what's interesting is the way in which God chooses to reveal this to Jonah and to us is not just through another prophet saying, you need to be more merciful. But through this living parable, this real story that actually happened that serves to us as a parable that we might see through a story our blindness to mercy. And God does it in a way, in the midst of the tragedy and the sadness, in a way that's almost comical. And he intends it to be this way. When you study the book of Jonah carefully, you'll notice that there's just irony after irony. Jonah really serves to us like a guy who is standing in front of a crowd of people saying, there's nothing to see here, everyone go back to normal, there is nothing to see here, while his hair is on fire. That's Jonah. In every chapter, he's going, everything's fine, there's nothing to see, and he's being consumed by fire, and everyone sees it but Jonah. And it becomes so funny, and, and, and there's so much irony, you just, you just want to look at Jonah and say, Jonah, how do you not get the mercy of God? Like, Jonah, how do you not see the thousand ways in which God is showering you with mercy? And my tendency, and the evil of my own heart, if I was the Lord, would be able to say, let's just stop using Jonah and find another guy. Like, why do we need Jonah? Jonah, who's so blind to mercy. Can't we just find someone who understands mercy and, and use them? And I'm so thankful the Lord doesn't do that. Because if he doesn't do it with Jonah, he means he won't do it with me. He won't just be done with me in my blindness and in my lack of understanding. God continues to be patient. And so even the way in which God deals with Jonah is such an encouragement to us. Do you know that God is really patient? He's more kind than you can ever imagine. He is more gentle and tender-hearted towards you and all of your pain and all of your suffering than you could ever imagine. And so the way in which God begins to open Jonah's eyes to his blindness to mercy is by just showering on him more mercy. Just mercy upon mercy upon mercy. But he never seems to see it because he's blind to it and he needs to be healed. And you know what? So do we. We need the sovereign God to open our eyes 
so that we might see the amount of mercy he has given us and that we might see the way in which he wants us to give it to others. We need a miracle. Say, I need a miracle. That was really bad. It's actually pretty discouraging. I don't know if my intro was too long. All right, say, I need a miracle. We do. We need God to open our eyes to his mercy. And so look at the way in which God continues to show mercy. He is just revealing over and over his mercy to Jonah in really remarkable ways. I'm going to go ahead and read verses 1 through 16. And then we're going to look at the way in which God showers Jonah with mercy. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. And then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise and call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Verse 7. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell to Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What's your occupation and where do you come from and what's your country and what people are you? He said to them, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them. Verse 11, and then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? Because the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. And listen to this line. For I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So in many ways, this entire story allows us to see from the outside in and for us to see something so ridiculous that we might actually end up seeing ourselves in it. That we might look at Jonah and be so overwhelmed by his blindness to mercy that somehow we might begin to see, well, maybe that's true for us. And that's the reason this book exists, to show us that in many ways, we all have a tendency to be a Jonah. And God wants to wake up not only his generation, but our generation to the mercy of God that we might not only know it and experience it, but that we might give it to a world that desperately needs it. So there's three ways in which God begins to show his mercy to Jonah, to shower up upon him, and he does the same to us. The first one is this. We see the pursuit of mercy. 
Write that down, the pursuit of mercy. And so we know because it says it three times that Jonah's fleeing from the presence of the Lord. And even that, we talked about this last week, as being such a ridiculous thing because the text is written in such a way that every time Jonah gets somewhere, God's already there. And so he runs and yet God is there and God's there in the wind and God's there with the sailors and in every step of this, God's there because you cannot run away from the presence of the Lord. And so he runs 3,000 miles in the opposite direction. We talked about last week how Jonah was really pouting, but the picture I get here is that uh, Jonah's like a little boy who doesn't want to hear his dad say something. And so what he does is he stands there and he puts his hands over his ears and he closes his eyes super, super tight. And he just goes, ah, and then he opens his eyes and his dad's right there still. So he does it again. Ah, and he opens his eyes, super annoying. Dad's still right there. That's what's happening to Jonah. Jonah said, I don't want to hear. I don't want to see. I don't want anything to do with God. And every step of the way, God's already there. And every time he opens his eyes, God is there. And he's just realizing, I can't get away from God. Because listen, God is after Jonah. But he's not after him like you would be after someone who hurt you. He's after someone like a father would be after a runaway child. That's the heart of God going after Jonah. He is going to go after Jonah. He is going to pursue Jonah. And what's amazing is Jonah continues to be rebellious. He continues to run. His heart continues to be hardened. And you know what? God still goes after him like he's doing to some of you this morning. It is an amazing thing, the patience and the kindness of God. But one of the ways in which God does this that becomes quite funny to us is what he does in verse 6. And so everybody's terrified. And everyone's praying to their God. And yet it says in verse 6, the captain came and woke up Jonah and said, what do you mean, you sleeper? Why are you sleeping? Every one of us are working. We're terrified. And then then listen to this. Arise, call out to your God. Do those words sound familiar at all? They're the exact same words in verse 2. Look at that. Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against them. This is absolutely intentional. So Jonah has got his ears covered and his eyes closed. He doesn't want to hear from God. And then finally, while he's in a deep sleep, he gets woken up by the sailors. And here he is kind of like like you feel when you get up in the middle of the night and someone woke you up and his eyes are kind of still blurry and he doesn't know what's going on. And he's kind of still wobbling a little bit. And the first words he hears are the last words he heard from God. Arise, call out. And now they're not coming from God. They're coming from pagan sailors because God has continued to see the same thing to Jonah over and over again until he gets it. And that, listen, is mercy. It's mercy for God to say, do you not realize that my commands are for your good? Do you not realize that if you would follow me, I would bless you? Do you not realize, Jonah, that running from me is such a foolish thing to do? And instead of God just saying, fine, Jonah, go, he continues to bring back his commands. He continues to bring back the conviction because that is the mercy of God pursuing Jonah. And what we see here over and over is the way in which God keeps coming to Jonah and showering him with mercy. And listen, it's exactly what he does with us every day, every morning, new mercies, new grace, new patience, new kindness. And just when you think you've run so far that God would never have you back, he says to you, there's still mercy for you. Listen to these words from Psalm 103. 
You may just want to write down Psalm 103, 8 to 17. You don't have to turn there, but just listen to these words. Is this the way you view God? It says, the Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast, means you can't get away from it, steadfast love. And he will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins. Can we hear an amen to that? Nor does he repay us according to our iniquities. He's not trying to get anything. He's not keeping score. He says, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. The enemy continues to bring them back to our mind. He has removed them as far as the east is from the west. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. He knows our frailty. He knows our temptations and our tendencies to run. And he just keeps coming back, listen, with more mercy, with more patience and kindness. He is pursuing us with mercy and we don't often see it. We often think that God has been cruel to us or, or that God has forgotten us. And what he says to us is, listen, I am just coming after you with mercy. But another part of the irony is he's, he's not only pursuing Jonah with mercy, he's pursuing the sailors with mercy. So look what happens in verse six. Now I, I've been on a lot of mission trips and I've shared the gospel a lot, just personally in a lot of context. And I don't ever remember a time where something happened to me like happens in verse six, because the captain says, what do you mean you sleeper? Arise and call out to your God. Listen, perhaps your God would give a thought to us that we may not perish. The sailors are asking Jonah how to be saved. I've never had someone come up to me and say, would you by any chance know of a God that could save you, me from my brokenness? Like, I know this is random, but would, would you know a God that could save me? I've never had that happen. And here are the sailors begging to be saved. And Jonah says, nothing. Like Jonah is just blind to God's pursuit of the sailors. And this becomes the rest of chapter one. We'll see that God is after them and after them and after them. And not only is Jonah blind to God's mercy for him, he's blind to the fact that there's a group of people on the boat that want to be saved and they can't find anybody to tell them. Now, I don't, know, I don't know where we got this idea, but I feel like we walk through life assuming no one would ever want to hear the gospel. We just kind of think no one's going to believe that, but you did. You did. At some point, you heard the gospel and thought, I think I'm going to believe that. At some point you heard the gospel and you thought it was good news. At some point you heard it and received it because someone shared it to, with you. But I just feel like we walk through life assuming they are never going to want to hear the gospel. I'm not going to tell them. They're going to think that's ridiculous. But the reality is people all day pass by us who are desperate for the mercy of God. And God is pursuing them, but we're blind to them. We don't see them. What God is trying to do to Jonah is wake him up and open his eyes to all of the people who need mercy. I think about Zacchaeus, you know, that, that, that wee little man. And I'm assuming he was shorter than I am or they wouldn't have called him a wee little man. He's a short guy and he's just sleazy and, and he's a criminal and his people hate him because he's a traitor. I mean, he really is just the worst of the worst. But Zacchaeus, something in his heart wants to see Jesus. 
So what does he do? Well, he goes and he, and he finds a tree and he climbs up to the tree and he just wants to see Jesus. And then Jesus, in the midst of this massive crowd, looks at Zacchaeus and says, hey man, I'm gonna go to your house today. And a man who had never been shown mercy, and we would say rightfully so, he's a scoundrel, had Jesus come to his house, listen, and Jesus showed him kindness, and you know what happened? He broke and gave his life to Jesus. Why? Because he was ready. Because he was pursued. Because someone saw beyond the surface and looked at his heart and said, I think that guy could use mercy. And I think what we do is we walk through life and we look at a person and say, there is no way that person would ever want Jesus. And the reality is they're dying for someone to tell them about Jesus. College students, listen to me. You are surrounded by people who desperately want to know Jesus. They just can't articulate it because they've never heard it before. You're surrounded by people who want to know Jesus. And so there's all these evidences in which God is trying to show Jonah Mercy is pursuing you and mercy is pursuing others, but he can't see it because he's blind. And listen, not only does Jonah need a miracle, we need a miracle to be able to see people like God does. Say, we need a miracle. We need a miracle. Not only do we see this pursuit of mercy, the second one is we see these pictures of mercy. We see these pictures of mercy. There's just these like snapshots everywhere. And so Jonah is, is, and again, this is both like terribly sad and both like, it's so unbelievable, it's almost comical. Jonah's just watching the boat go down. Like he's just unfazed. And then having already been asked, would you know a God that might control the sea? He hides, but he's about to be exposed and outed in a fantastic way. Because they decide to cast lots and you can just kind of feel like, I like to put myself in the story. You just kind of feel like Jonah's palms are getting sweaty all of a sudden. They go, oh, this is not good. Surely, surely this is not going to happen. And so they cast lots, and all of a sudden it says the lot is cast to Jonah. And you just sense in that moment every single person on the boat glaring at Jonah. Like they're just staring at him. To which Jonah goes, oh, me? And they go, yeah, you. And then they just barrage him with questions. Look at this in verse 8. Tell us. On whose account this evil has come upon us and what's your occupation, man? What's your deal? Where do you come from? What's your country and what people are you? Like, who are you that our entire life would be torn apart by a storm? Who are you? And then he says, well, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And verse 10 says, the men were then exceedingly afraid and they said to him, what is this that you have done, man? What, like, what have you done to us? Why are you bringing us into this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Look at verse 11. So they said, well, what do we do? Like, what do we do now? We're about to die because of you and your God. So what do we do? So the sea might quiet down for us. And it says this in verse 12. He said, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Now, I got, I got two issues with what he says here. The first issue is that's not the only option. Jonah could have humbled himself and repented. And told everyone, okay, fine, I do know the God that controls the sea, and he'll save us if you'll just trust and follow him. But Jonah's too proud to do it. He's not going to admit that he's wrong, and so he refuses to do it. But no, him getting thrown over is not the only option. Right here, he, he could have been spared a lot of trouble and a lot of pain if he would have humbled himself. And can I just say to you, some of you have a moment this morning where your only option is not to go into worse pain and trouble. You could humble yourself this morning. 
You could choose to get right with God and spare yourself a ton of pain. And some of you won't. And some of you will have more and more and more pain because you simply refuse to humble yourself. But the second trouble I have with this is, is why didn't Jonah just throw himself over? Like, come on. I just jump. Like, what? Why is he saying, well, if you guys would pick me up and throw me over, then everything would be fine. And I, I don't think it's because Jonah's just too lazy or sleepy to throw himself over. Here's what I think. I think in this moment, Jonah wants to be the victim. He don't want to be a cause. And I think in his mind, he thinks, well, if they threw me over, I go over because they threw me over, not because of me. But they are not falling for this. They're too smart for that. And so Jonah wanting to be the victim, well, I don't know why all this trouble's come. I don't know. And reality is, is that he just wanted to blame them for what was going on. And so look at what it says. He says, I know in verse 12, this is because of me. And so he's already acknowledged that he's hidden the truth from them. He's running from God. All of the pain is his fault. And look at verse 13. If you're circling in your Bible, circle the word nevertheless. That is the most shocking word maybe in chapter one. Nevertheless, even though they've lost all their livelihood because they're hurling cargo over, and all, even though they know that Jonah is the one causing the pain, nevertheless, the men row harder to get back to dry land. You see, the reality is, is they didn't want to throw Jonah over. They, for some reason, cared about Jonah, and they didn't want Jonah to die, even though Jonah doesn't care if they die. Jonah does not care if they die. He's already said that. He does not care. If he really cared, he'd repent or jump over. He doesn't care. But the sailors care that he dies. And so they try their best, but God is not going to let them do this. And the reality is there's this massive picture of Jonah staring him in the face. And it's not from Jonah. It's from these sailors who embody the mercy of God. They are patient. They are kind. They're compassionate. They're loving. It is the sailors who are praying while Jonah is quiet. It is the sailors who are caring while Jonah is hard-hearted. It is the sailors who love Jonah while Jonah does not love the sailors. And all of a sudden you see this incredible picture of mercy from these pagan sailors. What you realize is that Jonah right here in this moment is really the priest in the story of, of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10. So here's this man that's been beaten and he's been robbed and he's thrown over to the side and it says that a priest and a Levite both walk by him, a pastor and a worship pastor. And can I just say as a side, one thing I love about this parable is finally Jesus goes after the worship pastors. He's always going after the preachers, but in this parable, he says a worship pastor did the same thing. And let me just tell you something. They got, they got issues too. I'm telling you, they got issues, okay? Anyway, both of them walk by. And they're just, listen to this. They're blind. Like they see it, but what I mean by blindness is it does nothing to their heart. They don't stop, they don't help, they do nothing. And then a Samaritan, a man despised by the people of God, kind of viewed like a Zacchaeus character, comes and he bends down and he helps and he heals and he bandages and he carries him and he pays for him and he takes care of him. And what Jesus says through that parable to his people in Jesus' generation is this, there are unbelievers that are demonstrating mercy while you are blind to it completely. That's exactly what he's saying to Jonah. He's saying, Jonah, there are, there are unbelievers who get mercy better than you do. And I'm convicted by that. Because it is not always the church that has the most mercy. 
It is not always the church that steps in and meets the physical needs and the emotional needs of people. It is not always the church that is the first to step up and just have this overwhelming heart of graciousness and kindness and mercy. It is often the church that loves to talk about how bad the world is. Pastor, America's going to hell. We gotta, we gotta talk more about how America's going to hell. But yet, so often fail to leave the church and show mercy. To which someone would say, well, pastor, we gotta stand on the truth. I'm with you, I love it. I think you know me. We, we have strong convictions. We believe when what God says about morality and everything else. We believe all of that. I'm just wondering if instead of coming in here and talking about how bad everybody is, what if we went out there and showed them mercy? I think that's one of the things being exposed from this text is, man, you were just constantly harping on all the people that need Jesus. And the reality is you're just not showing them mercy. And God is exposing us by showing us pictures of mercy everywhere, but we're blind to it. Just how much God wants to see mercy because we need a miracle. We need God to open our eyes. Say we need a miracle. Here's the last one. There's also not just the pursuit of mercy and the picture of mercy. The last one is this, it's the power of mercy. It is the most incredible thing here, the power of the mercy of God. So they throw Jonah over in verse 15. They pick him up and hurl him into the sea. And look what happens right there. The sea ceased from its raging. Now, this is one of those moments like Elijah calling down fire from heaven. When the prophets of Baal pray, 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 and nothing happens. Then Elijah prays and God shows up. Here's a group of people praying to every God they can think of. They're making up gods. They're just, any God they've ever heard of, they're praying. And nothing happens. And then all of a sudden, they throw Jonah over. He was already said he follows the God who has created the sea and everything. Imagine the power of this moment, everything calm. And so you know what? All of a sudden they saw a real God. They saw a real God. You know what this generation needs more than it needs anything else? It needs to see a sign of a real God. It needs to walk into a church and see God at work. It needs to see people in the streets and God at work. There is nothing I want more from this church is for us to be a place in which people experience a living God who is real and speaking and moving and healing and delivering. And they see it. And as soon as they see it, you know what they say? I want that God. And I'm convinced if more people saw it, they would want him. Not a God we talk about, but a God we experience and we know who is real and living. And that's exactly what happens here. And so it says that they fear the Lord exceedingly and offer a sacrifice to the Lord. Because what happened is, is even when Jonah refused to say anything to him, he could not stop the power of the mercy of God. He didn't want them to come to Jesus, but they did. Why? Because the power of God's mercy. And God is using Jonah's rebellion. Think about the power of mercy. Jonah's rebellion is what God uses to show his mercy to these sailors. Now, I want you to listen to this. Some of you really need to hear this today. If you're with me, say amen. amen. Listen to this. I've been really burdened uh, by a dear friend recently who is suffering just some really crazy things that no one should ever have to suffer and go through. And it's not his fault. It's a lot of stuff that's happened to him, a lot of dysfunction, uh, a lot of sin that someone else did, and it's all on him. But here's what's amazing. 
is that even though he has so much pain and so much hurt because of something that has been done to him, the power of the mercy of God will use all of that to heal him. God will take all of that to save him. God will take all of that to use him and to move him in the right direction. And so what I love about what's happening in this guy's life is that seeing all of the things that have happened to him, he's not moving towards resentment. He's not moving to hardness. He's moving towards mercy because God's mercy is so powerful. He can take the most painful things that have ever happened to you and he can use them for your good and his glory. That's the power of the mercy of God. And so instead of just being resentful at all that you happened in your life, just say, God, would you, by your mercy, use this for your glory? And it's exactly what's happening here. But listen, you're not going to see that unless you have a miracle. You're not going to see it unless God opens your eyes to see beyond the hurt and the pain and say, okay, God, I believe that you can use that, that there is mercy in the pain. And so here's, I think, the question we have to ask as we come towards the end that Jonah's generation had a problem from seeing the mercy of God. And Jesus' generation had a problem with seeing the mercy of God. And our generation has a problem with seeing the mercy of God. And so why is it that God's people, of all people, seem so blind to God's mercy? I think the answer is in the connection. Write this down between Jonah 1.9 and Jonah 1.16. You've got to see that. Before we leave chapter 1 and go to chapter 2 next week, you have to see the connection between 1.9 and 1.16. Because in 1.9, Jonah says this, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And look at 1.16, the sailors feared the Lord exceedingly. Let me ask you a question. Who actually feared the Lord? The sailors. Jonah didn't fear the Lord. The sailors feared the Lord. And so here's Jonah, so proud of who he is and, and proud of his title. And yet here's these sailors that have no title. They don't know anything. All they know is that they trust and follow the God who just saved them. And they don't have any title, but what they've got is something Jonah doesn't have. They have a testimony. They have a testimony of really seeing God work and it's changed them and it's opened their eyes to the mercy of God. And what I think happens and the reason that we so often miss God's mercy is because we have a tendency to get proud with our titles. This is who I am. I'm a person of God. I'm a member of this church. I'm whatever, whatever. And we forget our testimony. We forget that we were just a sinner saved by the mercy of God. And if it wasn't by the mercy of God, we would be just as long gone as anyone else. We are all just recipients of mercy. But sometimes our title becomes more important to us than our testimony. And what you realize is that the key is this. The reason that Jonah was not experiencing a miracle of having his eyes open to mercy. The reason he was so blind is because he was missing the one thing that it requires for you to get a miracle. Humility. Jonah wouldn't ask. He wouldn't get humble. He wouldn't go before God and say, God, I need your help. <laughs> I'm in a mess here. He kept hardening his heart and hardening his heart. And the reality is, as long as you refuse to get humble before God, you will never have him open your eyes. But the good news is this. If you will humble yourself before God, he will open your eyes and he will allow you to see. And so our invitation this morning is twofold. It is first, for those of you who are running from God and running into more trouble, I'm pleading with you right now, humble yourself before God.
right now. Today, humble yourself before God. Come talk to us about it. Come grab a friend. Come down and say, listen, I'm tired of running. I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. The second part of our invitation is this, is you praying, God, would you open my eyes to mercy? I keep praying in this text, would God make our church a church that is known for its mercy? May we be a people known for its mercy. May people come here and meet us out there and just be overwhelmed with just what a good and kind God he is. Why? Because he experiences it from us. Some of you just get humble this morning and say, God, I don't want to be blind to mercy. Help me to see it and know it and give it. Let's pray our heads and close our eyes this morning.